0: Oh, yeah. If your frequency is your neighborhood, you're in the right neighborhood. And, boy, do we have a special guest. (laughs) Mikey D, Diamond Life Fuel, my boy, Mike Diamond, here. We're giving a dose of oxytocin, serotonin, endorphins, and, of course, dopamine when we're here on Office Hours. Our afternoon edition, but I can feel it already. SC is in the house. That's Susie Carter. She's here with us, sudiecarter.com. She's a profit coach. There's nothing better than passion, purpose, and profits. And that's what she's bringing to us with her expertise, her energy, and her beauty. Thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. And you know what, David and Mike, thank you guys for doing what you do. This Um, stuff gives us juices, entrepreneurs. You know, we're all lonely. We're lonelypreneurs. Like, where's my people? And it's like, oh, okay, I'm not cuckoo. I, I am living in my passion. And there's other people that think like me, act like me, do like me, give me fuel. So thank you so much.
0: Well, we appreciate that. And you are a truth-sayer. And when we're talking about profits, a lot of people, surprisingly, I talk about markets, market makers, and margins. Uh, You know, markets take a little bit of analysis and, and knowledge. Market makers is extremely difficult, and it takes a lot of situational knowledge and experience. But it's amazing to me how many entrepreneurs and business people overlook profit. They get so busy working, Susie, that they forget to make money. And they go down a huge rabbit hole without ever thinking about the power your profits provide. And uh, you have a podcast that I love, the Power Your Profits podcast. But let's talk about taking back the curtain and looking at the truth of how we build multi million dollar businesses, understanding our relationships with profit.
1: Absolutely. The wild, wild, the wild and crazy thing is only one point seven percent of small business owners hit the million dollar mark. That is a tragedy to me. And out of that one point seven percent, only 20 percent of those people are profitable. But here's the ridiculous part. Out of those 20 percent that are profitable, they're not paying themselves a proper paycheck. So that's not really profit, right? That's sneaky, sneaky. And I got to tell you, back in the day when I launched one of my first businesses, we were an award-winning business. We won top business of the year, highest growth, highest average ticket. We were the top 1% of the nation, top 10% of the world. And I was excited to hit that million-dollar mark. And the reality is, at the end of the year, I lost 70 grand. And I'm like, holy cow, Batman, like, how do you work that hard (laughs) and not make money? And everybody else is getting paid but me. And from that day on, I said, never again, like this has to, you got to plan for it. It doesn't happen. There is no money that's left over, right? It's, you got to plan for it. If you don't plan for it, it's not going to happen. Now, my chasm, and I say chasm, because it was a big one, is I was only $10 on every product and service in my business under what my base price. So $10 over 300 clients a month over 12 months had me in that hole of 70 grand. And so I had to re-engineer and back up to go what is happening? Right? I had a CPA, I had an accountant, but they're number crunchers. They weren't strategists, right? They weren't looking at what did I have to charge in order for my business to be healthy? So just because you have a CPA, just because you have a bookkeeper doesn't mean you're profitable. It doesn't mean that you're doing all the right things. Yeah. I so will well, tell you, go
0: oh, ahead, I, I, when we talk about your accountants or CPAs, especially as small business owners, and I've had this personal experience, I've been dealing with the employee retention credit and my accountant said, oh, you don't qualify. And they are so afraid to say they don't know that they'll just tell you no instead of they don't know. And I I had to create a a website, like literally people to reach out because I've had people that have qualified for a half a million and a million, it's about 26,000 per employee that you retained. And these accountants and CPAs, they don't understand payroll tax. They don't understand the new laws. And instead of telling you here, let me go do the research, do the work, be more interested. They lie to you. Instead of saying, I don't know, they say no. And people are losing millions of dollars that they paid in that should be getting back. And please email me if you fall into this category, apply first, then talk to your CPA after they accept you. David at dmelter.com. But go ahead, Susie. I'm sorry. I just had to go on my rant.
1: No, that's really important because my CPA did the same thing. Oh, you only get $1,200. I'm like, oh, hell no. There's no way. I, I, I'm paying too many people too much money. Right. Yeah. I love that you say that because we have to do our due diligence, right? That's what I learned in that first business. What was crazy is how do you have all these accolades, you know, and your ego or your she goes all like, I hit this mark. <laughs> and then your business is in the hole. Like That does not make any sense. So when I look at businesses, the first thing we have to look at, and most people, 90% of the small businesses I work with don't have this, don't want to do it, would rather poke a needle in their eye, don't want to be disciplined. We're pulling our strategy out of our genius zone. Now that can be your hiney. <laughs> That's where I would pull all mine out of. I'm going to pull it out of there and do it. <laughs> you <laughs> got to put that plan in place. The plan, before you spend $1, if you put it on paper, you will see, is this business viable? Will my customer, my ideal avatar pay for it? Most of us, and you know this, David, right? Most of us are marketing to fans, people who love and adore us, who like are our biggest cheerleaders, but they have no money. They're broken, broken. Well, I'm sorry. I want to help the broken, broken read my blog, watch my podcast, right? Go to my YouTube channel. I want to work with people that are ready to take action, ready to do the work because small business is challenging. I started this just to help Um, students just like myself is to go, no, 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 no. Don't do that. Do this. No, 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 no. Don't hire that person. That's expensive. Do this. No, no, no. You don't have the budget for that. Let's do this. Right. And then clients were like, can I pay you? I'm like, how much would you pay for that? That was my pricing strategy, Mike, back in the day. Well, how much would you pay for that, Mike? (laughs) And then you would tell me and I'm like, Okay, sold, right? And then I would sell like 10, 20 of the units of these. I'd come home with $30,000, $50,000 and like, oh my God, I sold this thing. And my partner was like, we don't have that thing. I'm like, we do now. And we got 12 weeks. <laughs> that is true entrepreneurship. So when I say I sit here and teach, and my clients called me the profit coach, right? They're the ones that gave me that name because, you know, I was all strategy. I'm a strategist. They're like, know oh, you're not. Like, like poo pooed me, right? I'm like, I'm not. <laughs> They're like, no, you're the money, honey. I'm like, okay, I can align with that. They're like, you're the profit coach. You find money everywhere. And I do, because your P&L, your numbers tell a story on the things you should be doing, the things you shouldn't be doing, right? And if you look at that, most people don't like the numbers. They don't want to look at it. But look, math is money and money is fun. We all love what money does for us. We don't want to do what it needs. So I've created all these simple formulas for myself first, because I would meet with my CPA, And my accountant, I feel like the biggest ding dong, like asking questions. I'm like, I don't want to feel stupid anymore. I need a spreadsheet that shows me. So my partner helped me create these spreadsheets to allow me... To understand the story of what my team was doing, what I was doing, how many leads did I need to get? Because a lot of us don't even know. We're like, oh, my God, I'm going to build this business. I have 5,000 people in my database. <laughs> well, good luck with that. Because are they the right 5,000 people? Yeah. Right? Are they even qualified to buy what you have? Or are they looky-loos? And so by breaking it down into a formula, then I can coach the system, not the behavior. Right. And my own behavior. Right. Because well, first it's us. We're the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker to go. What do I need to put in place? Who do I need? How many sales calls do I need to make? And I don't care if you hate sales. We're entrepreneurs. Nothing happens until we pick up the phone. You're not going to do it in email. You're not going to do it in a campaign. We have to pick up the phone. If you don't like picking up the phone, you're probably in the wrong business. You yeah. got
2: to talk to strangers. <laughs> well,
0: so too, Mikey. <laughs>
2: Well, I just, she's so good because it's funny that like you were a hairdresser struggling with two daughters, right? Which I love. Yeah. And through the pain and you're like, do you think, because Dave says it beautifully, people are afraid to either ask for help or ask for their value. People are yeah. afraid to make money and be successful. And and I come from Australia where it's impossible. If you do anything successful, they just hate on you. The tall poppy syndrome, they cut the yeah. top off, right? So right. when, when you're going through this as a hairdresser, right? Do you think that people like not only are afraid to ask for help, are afraid to be successful, but then you you know it's it's bullshit. Sorry to swear, but it's like this person's just feeding. They're gaslighting me. Yeah, Th- this is not right. So where did you make that choice as a hairdresser to say, nah, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I got to support my daughters.
1: Well, I realized that you know I had no alimony, no child support. Look, y'all. My picker was off. He might have he might have been handsome and muscles, but that was about <laughs> it. So, so I had no back door. I see entrepreneurs have a back door. They have a spouse, they have a significant other, they might have a line of credit, and you just keep feeding this empty, this machine that's a bottomless pit. And so I, I didn't have a machine. I didn't have, you know, a husband. He was a husband. My family wasn't supporting me Right. I had no savings. I just had to be rogue and a rogue entrepreneur. Like during the day I would work with my clients and figure out how could I up-service them, right? That's one to many. How do I take one service and have many like looking at the average lifetime value of that client, versus the service that they're doing back then it was a haircut and we were, we were one of the highest in our community, Right, and that's usually what we do. How much does Mike charge? How much does David charge? How much does city charge? Okay, I'll charge this. Well, if Mike's overhead is nothing, and if David has 10 employees, and if I have 10 employees, our overhead's completely different. And how much are you paying yourselves and each other? So it's important first when you understand, like, what is that number you have to bring in like, no kidding. And what are you willing to do? I didn't have a choice. I was in that. Remember Maslow's hierarchy of needs when we went to school. That lowest level was survival. I was in survival, man. I was. I had to hunt and gather, kill it, slay it. You know, feed the children. And then once I had that handled, I'm like, okay, I can breathe. Let me get into security. Let me put some money in the savings. Every night we'd go to the bookstore. I'd drag my kids, and I'm like, I need a marketing plan. So I'd sit down and I'd, I'd read the book. I didn't have the money, Mike. My- To buy the book retail, I had to.
2: I'd
1: I'd take notes. Right, we didn't have camera phones. Right, we didn't have iPhones. I had to take notes. Then I would take the book and I'd go to the used bookstore and buy it for twenty five cents. Right, if I really took a lot of notes. So I mean, I'm a hustler. Going, I'm not paying twenty dollars. That's you know, that's Mm -hmm. dinner. That's lunch. Right for my. (laughs) But most people don't have that hunger, right? Les Brown chocolate. about it. you got to be hungry, You're not not just food. I was food hungry, but I was hungry to have a different lifestyle for my children, for myself to go. And I'm an entrepreneur. If I sell something, I make something. If I don't sell something, I don't make something. Now, it's very stressful, but for me, it's very fun, right? And it was so- very stressful in the beginning, but I love it.
0: And you built two businesses over $10 million. So you put, <laughs> when you walk the walk, uh, you also- change your mindset. It wasn't just the math. And I think uh, a lot of people who only focus on mindset miss the math. A lot of people that only think of the math miss the mindset. Uh, You've studied and worked with a lot of my friends like John Asteroff, Lisa Nichols, Steve Harvey, Doug Carter, John Paul Mitchell, uh, all good friends of mine, but they're all mindset people as well. But one of the simplest things beyond timing and risk tolerance, bottom line and perceived value, which you articulate so beautifully to Uh, at least raise the awareness to most entrepreneurs that don't think about those things. Uh, There's one thing that you mentioned I want to finish up on as we have a couple minutes before Jess comes on is just paying yourself, right? When they do the math, when they look at the bottom line and they look at the perceived value, I can't tell you how many entrepreneurs that I've helped. And I said, Oh, I'm missing one thing here. And what they're like, what's that? I said, your bottom line doesn't include paying you.
2: Right. And I just
0: have to tell you that you got to pay you first, right. Right. then everything else. And if you're not building a business paying you, you don't have a business and you won't have a business and you won't be able to stay in business. And money and capitalization is the heartbeat of a business. We all know that when your heart stops ticking as a human being, you're dead. Your brain yeah. can stop. Your ears can stop. Your nose can see. You can chop your legs off. It doesn't matter. But when your heart starts ticking, you're dead. When you're out of money, you're dead. If you're not paying yourself, you're dead. dead. (laughs) Uh, What do you teach or how do you teach to re-engineer this receiving muscle so that people feel comfortable paying themselves first?
1: Well, one, I just want people to know there's money all around you. There's money all around you, literally.
0: They got a TikTok about that.
1: It's our (laughs) worthiness, right? There's that saying, your net worth will only grow as high as your self-worth. Right. And so you have to be able to value. So think about if I'm hired with an outside firm and I'm the CEO of the company or the COO, the strategist implementation, what's that salary? Right. Base is $250,000 a year. So in my projections, that's got to be my compensation. And then that starts the pricing and then I'm hiring David and then I'm hiring Mike and then I'm hiring an admin person. And so when you look at your overhead, you're like, this is what my programs, this is what my product, this is what I have to charge or I'm bankrupt. Most people don't want to look at that because they're like, well, if this is your God gift, like this is my God gift, right? I believe that my gift from life was God. My gift back to life is what I do with my, my, my life. Right. And so when I look at the the gift that I've got, I have to give back to my community. So it's easy to do it for free, right? There, when people are in service, it's like, but this is my gift. Okay. But you got to pay your bills. You got to take care of your family. You have a house payment. You have goals that you want to do, right? So, it's more, it's a masculine trait. Men have an easier time like charging what they're worth than our female counterparts. Now, I have a lot of masculine energy. I've been in business 30 years. I've had to learn to go in and fight. I've had to learn to work with New Yorkers, right? New Yorkers used to scare the shit out of me, by the way, because right? they're like, oh, we're going to punch you in the face and just say it like it is. I learned that's love in New York language when they punch you in the face and say it like it is.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. Well, true. Right? Sure. Thank you so much. We have to have you back. Your energy is incomparable. You fit right into our neighborhood, just like I thought. It's office hours. We're here with incredible Susie Carter, susiecarter.com. She is the Profit Coach. Power Your Profit podcast and her book, Power Your Profits, uh, in synergy with abundance. You have to receive. You can't give what you don't receive. Learn how to receive. I love your self Worth uh, is exactly right in uh, so many people. Your net worth is your self worth. The limitations we put on ourselves in an infinite, abundant world are more than enough. Add value to yourself. Reach out to Susie. Uh, Susie, thanks for joining us. We'll have you back on.
1: I'd love to. Thanks, guys, for all the amazing. Bye. The world. Bye. Thank you. Thank Bye. you
0: for bringing it. All yeah. right. Yeah. Well, it's not going to get any worse. I'll tell you that. We got the incredible Jess Ekstrom here. There she is.
3: Hi. Hello. hello. Thanks for having
0: me. I can see you laughing in the background. I was
3: cracking up. That woman, (laughs) I need to connect with her. She was speaking my love language for sure. (laughs) Yeah, I'd
0: like to. And uh, you know love language because you empower so many, especially women, uh, to become keynote speakers and build their own personal brands. And We were talking about men and women and the differentiator of their self-worth and how that Equates into their net worth. Well, I obviously help a lot of speakers as well. And Mm -hmm. it's amazing, um, you know, your workshop of how one of the critical components is that self worth, not the fear of other people's opinion, but the fear of our own opinion of ourselves. And you have a mic drop workshop Mm -hmm. uh, to help women become not only paid speakers, but that's the first step I think in building a brand is. To be able to have something to capture modify amplify and perpetuate what got you involved in the mic drop workshop i know you're yeah. an author as well but helping other women to build their brands
3: i'm sure like you i mean everything everything that i've ever started started with like seeing a pain point and it first started in my dorm room in college i started my first company called headbands of hope after i was interning for make-a-wish and seeing a lot of kids losing their hair to chemotherapy and they would be offered wigs and hats when they wanted to wear headbands. And so I like 18 years old, I call it the, the dumbest smartest moment of my life where I'm like, of course I could start a company, you know, having no idea what I was in for. Uh, So my junior year I started headbands of hope and said for every headband sold, we're going to donate one to a child with an illness. And now over 10 years later, we're, in about, you know, 2000 retail locations, we roll out in Kohl's next month, which I'm super excited about. We've donated over a million headbands to every hospital in America, in 22 countries now. And so one of the things that Susie was saying, too, is like, um, you know, I, I felt like a struggle in the, my business in the beginning with Headbands of Hope and with Speaking is this idea that you have to choose between making a living and making a difference. You know, you grow up thinking like either I'm going to have a life of service or I'm going to have a life of money. But I think a common thread that kind of led from Headbands of Hope to speaking is you can, I think the best businesses find a way to do both um, where you find that overlap. And so I was uh, totally broke trying to start my business. And the way that I could grow it was like by begging college professors to let me speak to their class for five minutes before class began i was like let me just tell people about headbands of hope and they said yes and then all of a sudden people started asking me to speak at their class and then i got a call from an agency that's like well what do you charge to speak and i was like hold the phone you mean people actually pay speakers like this is insane i I was like just how about they buy me dinner and, you know, we'll call it a day. Um, I've come a long way since then. But uh, so that kind of led into a speaking career, which I realized was um, very male dominated. And oftentimes when I would talk to an event planner and say, you know, what was it about me that you wanted me to come speak? They would say, we needed a woman. We're just not getting like women applying for speaking engagements or we're not getting women at the caliber that we're looking to pay and so I was like well something's got to change here. So I started mic Drop workshop and we trained women to become paid keynote speakers and 1500 women later we're doing a good job. It's, it's amazing. amazing. Yeah. You
2: you did something really incredible which most people won't do is you stepped into the unknown and you didn't know you were going to, you'd like, I've got to just promote this thing. And now I'm a speaker. Yeah. Your dad pulled you aside when you were a kid and said that specific thing to you, which is really empowering to, yeah. to keep thinking the way you were thinking about the headphones yeah. and, and, and look to solve problems. How important, because you do that with people, you, <laughs> you, you plant that seed of hope. And I never had that. I had to just believe in myself and just step yeah. into the unknown. You plant it. How important is it with what you do, and to to plant that seed into people and have the right mentors, like Dave mentors people and I mentor people? How important is that?
3: I mean, I think that one of the reasons why I wrote my my book, Chasing the Bright Side, was because I was tired of the narrative of entrepreneurship solely being around skill set, background, and expertise. Like, you know, one day I had this idea, and the next day. I can't have, you know, I don't have enough inventory in stock. And it's like, cry me a river. You know, that's not a a real problem. And so I wasn't hearing a lot of entrepreneur stories of people who just had a passion um, to solve problems. And maybe they didn't know what they were doing, but they just figured it out. And so I'm a huge advocate of people starting companies, especially kids. I actually have a, um, Kids' book coming out this fall with Harper Collins called "Create Your Bright Ideas." It's an entrepreneurship book um, for eight to twelve-year-olds because I'm like that's when we're not really trained to have limits, and that's when we should start, you know, going for it. And so I truly believe that like the belief in yourself and the belief that what you're doing is actually making the world a little bit better is overpowers like skill set and background and expertise because at the end of the day, every expert was once a beginner. So you might as well start somewhere. (laughs) Start
0: early. So you get a, as they said in technology, another spin of the A6, meaning uh, with compound interest, everything doubles. And if we start young enough, we might get one or two extra doubles. So instead of, uh, you know, 1 million people, it's two or two, four or eight, Uh, you get the exponential value of starting early. And of course, with uh, Gladwell's book, Outliers, we also get additional repetition, which helps with mm-hmm. our statistical success. Now you have the headband company, you have the mic drop workshop, you're an author, a speaker yourself. But if that wasn't enough, you decided, I think I'm going to start a third company as well. And you started prompted and that's a personal development platform. Uh, yeah. doing prompt plath- prompt pathways uh, yeah. from many thought leaders. Uh, what inspired you to create a third company And give us a little bit of details on that personal development platform, which obviously is very timely today.
3: Yeah. Well, it was actually during the pandemic. I we were all on our own personal development journey, learning how to, you know, bake banana bread or whatever we were <laughs> trying to learn. Send me the <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, I think myself and a lot of people, you get sometimes a little bit burnt out of consumption of like reading the articles of like five things millionaires do before you wake up in the morning or, you know, you have to drink a raw egg or whatever it is you've read.
2: <laughs> and so I
3: was getting a little bit tired of, um, self-improvement and personal development as like an only one-way street. And so with Mic Drop Workshop, I decided to run a little experiment. And I said, okay, instead of telling these students what the definition of a keynote, I'm going to prompt them with 21 questions. And if they answer these 21 prompts, then by the end of it, they'll have their keynote talk written and mapped out. And I called it a keynote pathway. So I sent it out to the students They did it. They loved it. And they were like, what other pathways can we do? Is there like a book writing pathway? Is there personal branding and anywhere from mindset? If I have imposter syndrome or am I in a creative rut? Is there a pathway I can take with prompts that help me arrive at a certain outcome? And so I started talking to some other, you know, entrepreneurs or coaches or authors About this idea of like prompt pathways instead of teaching through answers, what if we taught through questions and helped people discover what they already know? And they all had an idea for a pathway based on their area of expertise. So I started prompted, and it's a, you know, it's it's basically a journaling and coaching at a baby. You can take a a pathway um, from a thought leader, and it's anywhere from we have someone on there about like, who's a relationship coach of, you know, getting over your ex to like Forbes writers of how to stand out on LinkedIn. And you can sort by category or whatever it is that you're feeling. And it's a really cool way to learn through yourself instead of constantly consuming something new.
2: I think that's brilliant. I love what you said, like (laughs) eat the raw egg and stand (laughs) on your head in the corner, (laughs) sit sit in a freezing cold bath. Like Exactly right cold showers I
3: tried it I couldn't get on the cold shower train yeah but but that I think what you said is great because people
2: get caught in the comparison
3: yeah and they're too
2: busy and and and, you know so when you're sitting someone down because we're nowhere really over it's like how you you've got to ingrain people that it's not Dave's story it's not my story it's your story it's yours it's Mm -hmm. your story and stop worrying about everyone else's story because it's your unique story and, and everyone's got to go on the hero's journey. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And, and yeah. you've got to face the dragon. So when, when you teach that to people, how do you get them unstuck because there's so much information and they get clouded and yeah. they're worried about the algorithm or they're worried about not posting up. So how do you get people unstuck to stay with their story?
3: Yeah. And, and I think like what you're saying, it's also pretty empowering to know that it already exists within you. Like sometimes to get to where we want to go or to be the speaker or to be the entrepreneur, it's not about like reaching out. It's about reaching in. And, you know, I couldn't find something that really, that really met people where they were to do that. And I think that that's honestly where every single business idea I've had from headbands of hope to mic drop to prompted is like when you want to create something that you wish existed, Um, and I, I like to kind of hopefully lead with relatability of like, you know, being 18, 19 years old, starting this business and just figuring it out along the way. I've definitely made lots of mistakes, but I will say back to the story question, Mike, the, the stories that I tell on stage or in my books that are the most powerful are the ones that don't make me look good or the ones that like (laughs) when I royally messed up. So if you're thinking that you have to. Yeah. If, you, if you're thinking that you have to wait to share your story until you've like made it on the Today Show or you have this, you know, perfect record, I'll tell you the ones that hit are the ones that knocked me down and, you know, I got back up.
2: Brilliant. Yeah.
0: Which there's a great book on that as well by David Corbin called Illumination, um, which is obviously the reason that people convey uh, their feelings are the best way that they communicate all the way from Michelangelo Angelo on. It's not the facts that they're gonna remember is how they felt. And so mm-hmm. when we tell the truth and resonate with the illuminating disappointments, pains, failures, and setbacks in our life, it makes people feel a certain way, which is what's so powerful about what you do, is you allow people to uh really utilize the daily practices in order to effectuate their futures and a variety of ways really interesting from you know your headsets, your your headbands to your mic drops to your prompted to the speaking, to the writing, even with children, it's all about empowering others and giving back to others. And that's why I really wanted to have you on here as you're truly a compassionate capitalist, uh, someone who understands the easiest way to get to where we want to be is not only to ask someone for help, to find someone in a situation that sits where we want to be, like prompted, uh, to prompt us with those directions, but also uh, to help others get what they want. And when we help others get what they want and we ask for help by people who can give us what we want, obviously it accelerates uh, our ability to be where we want to be. And thank you so much for empowering those people. Everyone check out all four of your businesses, books, podcasts, whatever else Jess has. Uh, you can find her at com or micdropworkshop.com, empowering thousands of people around the world. To make a lot of money, help a lot of people, and have a lot of fun. Thanks for joining us, Jess.
3: Thanks, guys. Have a good one.
0: Keep up the good Hi, work. Jess. Oh, he cut her oh, off. She is
3: awesome.
2: I Matt cut her off quick.
0: She drops like,
2: "See you later, alligator." Uh, she,
0: anyway, dropped she dropped the mic. She, we must have gone over on time. Uh, <laughs> that was weird. <laughs> just I, that's what I do to people. Now I know what it looks like. I just he leave. did the
2: old, um. What, what's that theater in New York where they just yank you from the. Yeah, net? yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, Apollo. They
0: just She's like, shit, my kids that- are crying. I got to go. Um, anyway, <laughs> we got a few moments here. I thought we'd do an early takeaway for the day so we can utilize our time effectively. Uh, we have our next guest coming on in about 10 minutes or so. Um, but Mike, give me a, your takeaway for the day today. Um, you know, what, what you've learned, you know, considering who we've had on so far.
2: You know what I love? Uh, everyone diversified and I was never taught that. Like when I was like at coming up at acting school, it was like, you just be an actor. And you're like, But can I write? Can I direct? No, no, you just be an actor. And then I, I came to America and I was around people. And are like, well, I'm not getting any acting gigs. I'm like, yeah, it's hard. Right. They're like, yeah, so I'm directing. I'm like, you're doing what? They're like, Oh, I'm directing and writing. And, and I'm like every actor that I knew was an entrepreneur, but I didn't talk about it. And I'm like, ah, and I love how every one of them, they're always, everyone's an entrepreneur. If you're just sitting at a desk and you're just expecting to make a wage and that's it, you're dead. So my takeaway is just be so, Just learn a bunch of stuff and get really good at it and bring value to people. And it, it'll fall into place. It's not supposed to fall into place now. It's gonna fall into place like Steve Jobs does when you look back on it you know connect the dots but do everything and work really hard and have passion and be excited and just work stop looking for this white light experience like it's just gonna land in your lap and there's gonna be unicorns and it's gonna feel right it doesn't feel right you just work so you know what i mean so just stay in the process be passionate and like you said you say it so well and it doesn't get into people make money don't be afraid to make some money because that's what resonated with those guests it was so great
0: yeah, it's so interesting uh, that people, you I know, kind of see this—that these people today, uh, Susie and uh, Jess—they're above the game. And, and when I say that, it, it's a little bit like every everybody gets so caught up in the game. It's that thing, you know, don't get so busy working you forget to make money. Um, and a lot of people they're they're so wrapped up into pushing the boulder to the top of the hill that they don't mind it rolling down to the bottom of the hill in the morning. Uh, They're so busy, you know, food in, food out. Uh, They literally build a routine that gives them a comfort zone. I had a guy uh, who you may know because he reminds me of you, uh, Colin O'Brady. He's friends with Jesse Isler. He wrote a book called The 12-Hour Walk. He's a world record holder, I think, in 12 categories of adventures. Um, And we were talking about how sad it is for the people that live in fours and fives. Uh, you know, I created a comfort zone, a learning zone, and an anxiety zone concentric circle diagram to show people, you know, where the people live in four and five out of every day, and they never grow. And the people that live in the sevens, eights, and nines, and experience—if you live in the seven, eights, and nines—you're going to experience the ones and twos. But you can't get to the eights, nines, and tens unless you live on the ones and twos. And those ones and twos are people who are going the extra mile every day. Yeah. And, you know, when I used to see, and I repeat, used to see at 345 AM moniker on my IG live going, Mikey's up before me, even as I usually <laughs> meditate and don't get onto IG between, you know, 420 and 430 to check out, you know, whatever messages are there. I knew that, Mike diamond was someone that went the extra mile every day, regardless of whether he was sick or he had COVID or, you know, whatever else he ran 13 miles a day, every day when he should be in surgery, literally. And, you know, it's funny because the Colin O'Brady's and the Jesse Itzler's and the Mike diamonds of the world, they go the extra mile every day. And where you reach when you do that is a place with very little competition, very little resistance. Uh, very little emotion is necessary because it's ingrained in your behavioral activity. Uh, the word response ability is how response able are you? And if you want to build response ability, how response able you are, well, you have to have activity, consistent, persistent activity. And to be able to effectuate going the extra mile every day, uh, you, know, you look at these two women most people like them, men or women, as you saw the percentages of failures within entrepreneurism, 1.7% make over a million dollars. 20% of those 1.7% uh, are actually profitable. When you think about that, all I could think of is a whole bunch of people going the extra mile every once in a while and then using blame, shame, and justification uh, to tell you why they're not where they're supposed to be. Yeah. All of those other people, it's the 1% of the 1% of the 1% that go the extra mile every day. And guess what? If you go the extra mile every day, you're going to experience ones and twos. You're also going to experience threes and fours, but where you end up is in seven, eights and nines every day. I don't know how long that takes, but I guarantee you the math works that if you experience ones and twos, threes and fours, seven, eights and nines every single day, that you eventually end up in only seven, eights and nines and even a few tens. And that's the empty mile where these women have have, you know understood by being above the game and saying, look, I get it. You know, I don't know what I don't know, but I'm just going to keep plowing forward, like you said, and and getting there. I got a question for you um, from Blaine. What's something that you used to believe in but no longer do?
2: All right, I used to believe that it was just about talent. I honestly believed it was, cause I was talented in certain areas. I don't believe that anymore. I think we all have abilities and inclinations, but I think the person that's willing to pay the price no matter how they feel daily and can just stay in process will always, always get ahead of the person that's got a lot more talent, but just can't suffer. Because I told someone the other day, I said, you know what's really interesting? People talk about Epictetus, right? But he was a slave and he didn't write anything down. He student did, right? Or Marcus Aurelius who wrote meditations. That was a private book that no one was supposed to read. These guys suffer. They went through hell and we discovered their works and studied them, right? So it's the, I now know it's got nothing to do with our talent. God gives us abilities, absolutely, and inclinations. But if I'm not willing to live in the stretch every day, and really, really, every day is going to suck. Because if I want to really be in the 1%, I have to do what 99% of people aren't going to do. And that means it doesn't matter how I feel. I may get up feeling COVID three times, stomach infections, colitis now that's a disability, dyslexia. My stomach explodes through a rewrite. I get shingles, which I think is a spider bite. And I'm on the toilet, true story, doing edits. And my wife walks in and says, what are you doing? I said, I'm doing edits for the editor because I've got to deal with Random House, my dream, right? i am got to deal with Random House, right? But who would know I would suffer this much to get a publishing deal? And I never could figure that out before. I always thought, well, I've got talent. It's fine. My talent will get me through it. No, 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 no. Talent's 1%. It's 99% work and perspiration. I love it.
0: Mine is actually uh, aligned with the question itself is, I used to think being a hypocrite was a bad thing. Uh, I did. And I know people are like, what the fuck is he talking about? (laughs) Look, I love people that are hypocrites because they're fast learners, right? Uh, You, I think uh... it's a... Uh, a testament to the fact that we don't know what we don't know and those in those who admit that they're a hypocrite those that admit that said I, you know i know i used to think that this was good but now i don't or i used yeah. to think this was bad and now i don't or i used to think this now i think this those are the people i want to surround myself with. Those are the people I want, to hire. I want to hire a fast learner see there's two mistakes but only one valuable mistake right The first mistake is pain, setback, and failure uh, appears. Uh, And the second mistake is not learning from it, right? And so many great philosophers and thought leaders have talked about, you know, the definition of insanity is to keep on doing the same thing and expect a different result or to expect to get a different result by trying to solve a problem in the same consciousness that is created. Whatever level or variation of hypocrisy that I'm looking at I'm looking deeper into hypocrisy and saying, I don't know what I don't know. I'm going to live in radical humility and hypocrisy. That, guess what? I'm going to give meaning each day, new meaning each day to the defined moments and inflection points in my past. The failures, the setbacks, and the mistakes that I've made. Those defined moments of my past. And I am going to change my mind and expand it via the lesson. Instead of making two mistakes into one, I'm gonna live with hypocrisy and illuminate my first mistake by sharing the lesson that I learned from it and go ahead and know two things. Because of the hypocrisy of the past, I'm going to have an accelerated trajectory to something I think I want in the future, but be open-minded, open-hearted, and open-handed to know that I only think I want that in the future, But I'm open minded enough to know that tomorrow I may tell you I want something completely different because of the lessons I've learned by giving a new meaning to the defined moments and inflection points in the past to a relative future that I give and I have control of. So I think there's multiple layers of what I used to believe and what I believe today because I encourage hypocrisy as long as you illuminate it, you don't deny it, manipulate it, lie to it, oversell it, back-end sell it, go over it, under it, through it, or resist it. Simply illuminate the fact, you know what? I used to think this was going to be, a pandemic was going to kill the real estate market. I I don't think so, right? I used to think NFTs were a great investment. I used to think this person would be a great employee. I was wrong. Guess why? Because I looked at the clues, I looked at the patterns, and I make a new choice today, even though I'm not afraid of telling you, yes. I know I'm a hypocrite. I know I told you this this yesterday, but now today I think this. And I think that's who we should surround ourselves with the fast learners, the hypocrites in the world.
2: But isn't that really when you look at the base of it, right? That's really uh, emotional intelligence because you're self aware. You're aware enough to say, I'm a hypocrite. I thought this yesterday. And and you're kind of making an amends in a way because you're saying, Look, I thought it was this. It's that. I can look at that. I didn't know everything. And then you move on. And I think that's the real basis of true emotional intelligence because you're self-aware enough to go, hey, I, was, I thought innovative were great. They're not, all right. I thought this was gonna happen. It's not, but you're staying present and you're in the here and now, and you're not saying, well, it should be this. And you're not blaming, you're not justifying Yeah, well, I know I said that, but, but, and you're not gaslighting. You're just saying, okay, I'm a hypocrite. And I think that's really powerful. Well, it is because it's like you're saying, hey, I thought this, now it's this all right and our science, and our scientists
0: and doctors do it all the time right oh my
2: god they're the best right it's like they're oh
0: red meat in my lifetime i'm 54 years old i think red meat has been very good and not very good for you <laughs> about six times <laughs> right. Mar- marijuana is my favorite marijuana is my favorite oh. because you literally could be put in jail for your entire life if you use marijuana six times or uh, three times in your whole you can get a literally a life sentence for using marijuana now like government itself is saying oh what a great benefit marijuana usage
2: <laughs> it's well, the same what about, fake. what about cocaine back in the day cocaine yeah. was in coca-cola you had to drink your coke That's yeah oregon, no, how about
0: oregon how about oregon it is illegal literally in oregon it is illegal it's Cocaine is legal in in Oregon, but using a plastic straw is not. So you have to oh use God, your that, college bill yeah. to do a fucking line. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> yeah,
2: you have to do a key bump. That's so good. You got caught out. Uh, that's so good. Like, but it's illegal to use a straw, but that's so true. Like, think about how crazy that is. Think about how crazy that is. That's the greatest. That's hypocrisy. That's the greatest hypocr- that's <laughs> hypocrisy. Yeah. The greatest hypocrisy I embraced
0: it. I illuminated. I love it. It's amazing.
2: That's that is that is so good when you think about it. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. but we can't use straws. What do you mean?
0: It's like okay, okay. We lined it up. Oh, don't use that straw. We could get arrested. <laughs>
2: arrest what about all the coke on the table?
0: Oh, that's funny as,
2: oh, my God, that's the best. That's <laughs> really as funny as years ago I was doing something like that, and this guy goes, I can't believe what we're doing. And I'm like, what do you mean? We're in a bathroom. because it's disgusting. I said, we're in a bathroom. Don't worry about it. He goes, no, you are using a dollar bill. I said, Dude, it's not in cocaine. You worried about the dollar <laughs> bill? <this dirty? laughs> I don't know who cut this. Exactly. Like, what are you talking about? We're in a toilet. Oh, all right, that, oh,
0: last no. question real quick. Oh, and okay. ho- hopefully, uh, <laughs> let me see if Matt's right or not. We'll hopefully have another guest. If not, we'll have a good ending um what do you believe is your greatest superpower mike and the area of opportunity to get it and make it better
2: Um, uh, my work ethic and self-discipline you mm. can't outwork me i i can i i am literally i do this you, seriously you I, my vision board is very simple my, i have three things i have the people that are dead that mean something to me so it's that real every day i look at people that are no longer with me that keeps me grinning the moment and grateful like right? so i'm like wow They're no longer here. I have an opportunity to do something great.